When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Football Social Daily. Premier League Preview. Hello and welcome to the Football Social Daily Weekend Preview Show, giving you all the latest team news, predictions and insight ahead of a busy weekend of Premier League action. As well as our daily podcast, we're also your go-to source for daily Premier League news. We've got updates on all 20 teams every day. Simply ask your Amazon Alexa device to enable sports social. And yes, the games are coming thick and fast and it's a busy schedule today and tomorrow. Biggest of them all is at Stamford Bridge Frank's Young Lions are on fire and Jurgen Klopp's team have the biggest lead ever at this stage in a Premier League season. Elsewhere today, there's a replay of this year's FA Cup final. And as well as looking at all the Premier League fixtures, I'm going to be asking my guests what lengths they have gone to to make sure they're able to catch a game. Maybe they snuck an earpiece into their own wedding. Maybe they told the other half they were going out for milk and came back four hours later with alcohol on their breath saying everywhere was sold out. We'll find out in a little while. Well, I'm Ant McGinley and joining me to do that today is uh, Jay from Full-Time Devils. Hello. Hello. Thanks for having me on. And freelance football writer Pete Hall. Hello. And our resident football journalist, Fergal Brennan, who's just had a smelly chicken sandwich. I am here. Smelly chicken sandwich and all. We're joined on the line by Sam from Total Football Analysis. And there's really only one place to start this weekend. And that's at Stamford Bridge. Sam. Big game. Yeah, huge game for both teams. Both teams have been trying to find their form early on in the season and, and Liverpool have got that lead now. So a big game. And what's your, before we get into the analysis, what's the fan in you? What's your instinct say about this game? It's definitely one worth watching. I think I'd probably go towards Liverpool if I had to choose one, but it's definitely be an interesting battle between the two of them. So let's have a look at what you guys at Total Football Analysis have taken away from the game. Then what can you break down from it? Yeah, so I think the most interesting thing that we'll, we'll see at the weekend is going to be whether Chelsea line up with their back three again. So obviously they've gone with that against Wolves and Valencia. They're still without a clean sheet this season. But Frank Lampard seems to think that that's the formula. So if they stick with that again, it could be, be interesting to see if it has an effect against the Liverpool front three. It's the same approach that, that Jose Mourinho used when, when they played against Liverpool and it worked quite well there. So 
we'll see if it works again for them and, and it gives the centre backs a bit more freedom to make those those three versus three position situations in the central areas and it'll give them a bit more freedom rather than a, a four at the back which is what Frank Lampard started the season with at Chelsea. Sam, where do you, where do you think, if anywhere, Chelsea can hurt Liverpool? I think the best thing that Chelsea can do is kind of look at Napoli and what they did in midweek because they they look to attack the the gap in between Andy Robertson and Virgil Van Dijk, and that's where they've had that one weakness Liverpool this season. And a few teams have looked to get at them there and, and in those wide areas. So I think they'll probably look to do that again. And in that way, it might not be the end of the world if Mason Mount is ruled out after he picked up that injury. So I think the likes of Pedro or Willian or even Christian Pulisic could could have a real impact getting out the Liverpool defence down their left flank. Yeah. Tammy Abraham's been the man of the moment for Chelsea so far this season. Not just the goals that he scored, but the performances and the way that he's he's led the line for Chelsea and been a, a focal point to, to let midfielders yeah. get up and support him. It's going to be the biggest test probably of his career. Well, I would say definitely of his career so far. Up against Virgil van Dijk this weekend. He's not going to have played, played against a centre-back like him. Obviously, as you touched on there in the, in the Napoli game, Van Dijk made a, a bit of a rare error for the for the Napoli second goal. Where can Abraham specifically look to exploit that? Will it be in terms of his movement across Van Dijk? Will he be looking to run in behind Van Dijk? Or will, will Chelsea look to maybe play a bit more direct and, and look to see if he can challenge Van Dijk in the air? Yeah, I think it'll be an interesting one for Abraham because he's obviously came up against Van Dijk in the Super Cup and he struggled there and he's done well this season when he's been up against some lower quality defenders, so to speak. So it'll be interesting to see how Chelsea handle that. Again, I think it'll be a lot about the movement and how to use those wide areas to try and get find the spaces in between Robertson and Van Dijk and, and give that space and distract Van Dijk so that Abraham can kind of peel off and, and attack the far post and look to get on the end of some crosses and rebounds, that kind of thing. I think it will be a challenge for him because it's not the kind of role that, that he usually plays, but we'll see how he does. And this would be one of the kind of fixtures that really determines whether he's going to be Premier League quality and ready to play for Chelsea week in, week out for the for the next few years, or whether it's just like, make a matter of him being there because Chelsea can't sign anyone else at the moment. So what, what's your gut telling you in terms of what the score will be? I think Liverpool will probably edge it. I mean, with Chelsea's defensive record this season, even if they do go with the back three, I don't think they'll be confident of keeping Liverpool out from the from the back at all. I think Liverpool still look to to get in between the spaces between the centre backs and the wing backs, which is where Chelsea have let themselves down a little bit. So I think with Salah and Mane there, they can't have well. There's not really two better wingers in the Premier League to look to do that. So I think Jurgen Klopp will be optimistic, but he knows that it won't be as easy a task as the European Super Cup. There are a lot of people who are saying the same things that Liverpool could walk it and, and exploit these weaknesses. But I think this time Liverpool should have learned from that encounter and and found the ways that they can get through that Chelsea backline. Thanks very much. No problem. And we'll speak to you again soon. Great. Good to speak to you. All right. Cheers, Sam. Thank Thanks, you. Sam. Thanks very much, guys. So that's our expert there, Sam, from Total Football Analysis. If you're interested in what they do and learning more about that, you can follow them on Twitter at Total Football Analysis. So as I said, the big game, he sees Liverpool edging it and he's got a couple of reasons why. Uh, What do we think, guys? Um, Yeah, you'd have to fancy Liverpool. I mean, he said he sort of said you can't look too much into the Super Cup. Um, I think that Liverpool actually got a bit of a surprise in the Super Cup because Chelsea were up for it, weren't they? And everyone mm. just sort of thought, oh, Liverpool are going to steamroll over Chelsea. They didn't look that great when, when they played United and all the rest of it. But Liverpool do have these weaknesses. I think the trouble with Liverpool's weaknesses for me is they're over-exaggerated. I think if if we see, because Virgil van Dijk's levels are so high, we saw it with Pepe, I think, if you watch the Arsenal game, where he more or less just ran alongside him for a bit. 
And everyone was like, oh my God, Virgil van Dijk's been beaten. This is, you know, it's amazing when he actually, look, he recovered. It wasn't really much of a... Yeah. Of a of and, he, and he ran out to the side, really, wasn't yeah, he? Which yeah. is what you're supposed <laughs> to do. Yeah. It was like, really? Yeah. Is this what we're bragging about? So I think that, yeah, I, I still think this Liverpool side, it, unfortunately, as a, as a United fan, is looking very strong. Chelsea have improved massively since the opening day of the season against us, but I don't think they've improved enough. So I, I think I'd agree with, with your analysis. His analysis, sorry, I think it, it looks like, for me, a Liverpool win. I mean, the thing for me is I was expecting to, Chelsea to have all sorts of problems this season. Right, especially with having lost Hazard and the transfer ban and a new untested Premier League manager. Now, everybody loves Frank Lampard. I think that's pretty much a safe bet, really. But question marks over whether or not he can cut it as a manager. And actually, he seems to be working very well with what he's got and has been much championed elsewhere this week. All the goals that Chelsea have scored since he came in have come from England under 21 players, which is sure something they'll be very proud of. And of course, we mentioned Tammy Abraham there doing very well last weekend. I saw, uh, we were talking about this off air, I saw um, a Chelsea fan site uh, this week say that they were enjoying watching this more than the season, the first season when they won the, the title under Jose Mourinho, just because they've been desperate for so long to have uh, more than just John Terry as this as a young player to come through the ranks. And I was like, I, I, I can't be right. But there is a feel, you know, you've got a, a, a club legend as your manager, you've got young players that they've never had, and everyone's always, whatever Chelsea have done, people have always used that stick to beat them, haven't they? Oh, wow, you just bought, you bought the league, you've done this, Abramovich's millions, you've never brought young players in. Now they've got young players and they've got... They've got a legend on the bench that everybody absolutely loves, and he's untouchable, isn't he? But in reality, it's not gone that well. It's gone quite well. Like they still got beat by United four 0 on the opening day. They 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 were 2-0 up against Sheffield United at home and drew two all. They've lost the Champions League opener at home to Valencia. They've only won two out of five in the league. It's gone quite well. And they got a couple of good wins and it's just because these young players are doing it. That's the only reason why it seems like it's going maybe better than it is. It's because it's these players that they've never had before, these young players doing it, and Abraham can't stop storing. And yeah, it's it's a nice story, isn't it? But it's it could be going better. All right, misery guts. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, you're, you're somebody who lives in Liverpool at the minute, Fergal. Um, do, what? How do you see this one? Um, well, yeah, living in Liverpool gives you gives you a window into this, and Liverpool fans are very confident that this is going to be another three points. There, there seems to have been a, a slight change in mentality from the start of this season of there can afford to be no slip ups if Liverpool want to break that title duck that they've had for for so long. And I think they they see games against top four sides now in the last eighteen months as Liverpool should be going and winning this rather than take a point at Stamford Bridge, take a point at Old Trafford. They're in a position now where the only game of the entire Premier League season where they think this is a bit tight is Manchester City away. That that's the level of confidence that they're operating at based on the you know the strides they've taken over the last over the last 12, 18 months. Um and I, I agree with the, the guys. I think I think Liverpool are favourites, deservedly so. To pick up on what Pete said, I, I would agree with that. It's it's difficult to, to say these things without sounding like a, a bit of a misery guts, but but it is true. Chelsea have been good and Abraham's caught the eye with goals and Mason Mounts scored a couple of goals and, and showed some nice touches in midfield. But when you know when we get down to points on the board, when we get down to brass tacks, what what really have they actually done? That's that for me is is the kind of <laughs> it's a little bit of a glossing over of the way they've started the mm. season. These players look good, but the games they've won, the goals they've scored, they've scored them in against teams they should be beating, and they've scored them at times of games where I wouldn't quite say it's non consequential, but the, the game against Wolves, they're beating a really out-of-form Wolves team. And then when they played Sheffield United, they couldn't see off 
a, a lead against a newly promoted team. So I would be careful not to put the, the cart before the horse with, with Chelsea so far this season. And I think Liverpool are so efficient. Yes, they slipped up against Napoli in midweek, but in the Premier League, they are they, they look really, really ready to go to go all the way. Let's remember as well that it is still the start of the season. This is game six. So there's there's still a lot that can happen, a lot of distance to go. But I, I, I think there's, there's, there's some good points there. Um, something you mentioned there, I'm going to ask controversially here. Uh, you said about Liverpool expecting to win even against the top four teams. Do we still see Chelsea as a top four team? Personally, no. But they're, not, but they're on the cusp. Um, this is this is uh, it's it's one of the terms that is used so much. I don't know if we have got that cliche bell still hanging around, but like, <laughs> it's te- broken. Yeah, yeah, it's broken. Too, much. It's yeah. too many times. Yeah, it, it's a, a team in transition, and they but they they can't really do a great deal because of this transfer ban. So yes, they've got a good young squad, and you got they've got some good young players, but you look at the names. That are in, in the, on the team sheet, and you're like, well, you know, that's that's not that's not a top four club in terms of the in terms of the names. But then a few seasons ago, we might have said this about the Leicester squad. But yes, but and also and also, it's not the top four isn't the top four anymore. There's like more. There's more options now. Like top top five four years four or five years ago, Tottenham weren't considered a top four team, but now that they are in the top four. Right. And there, you would pick them over over Chelsea in, in terms of who is it was a top four club in England. So you're saying I there's think. there's more than four teams in the top four? Is no, 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 no. There's, there's more. There's more than four teams that are cape that can lay claim to be in a top four. Back in the day, it was top four, and then everyone else just sort of yeah. scrapped it out on the on the marshes, didn't they? It, it, well, well, let's let's move on to the the big lunchtime kickoff for today, and two teams that are eyeing up those top four, or at least the top six, <laughs> and uh, that is uh, Leicester against Tottenham. Mm. Uh, so half twelve kickoff today. Um, Spurs in familiar territory in the league at the minute, so sat in third place. Uh, great win last week against Palace, but a real mess up in the week in the Champions League. What's uh, what's going on at Spurs? I don't know. It doesn't seem like a happy camp really at Spurs, and it's a bit of a strange one because it depends how you look at. It. You can look at Spurs and think they got to the Champions League final, you know, the, which was a, a great run. The, the emotions of it, the way they did it in the sort of last minute against Ajax as well, it was it was fantastic. And again, you just mentioned the sitting in third, but then you look at the record over the past. And I hate doing this, but I'm going to do it anyway. Look at the back end of last season and and this season like I think was it like 20 losses or whatever it was over so many games wasn't great Pochettino's made a few noises that he's not happy we know about the Ericsson situation as well where he wanted to go and then no one really came in for him to the to the, the, the money that they wanted so he sort of stuck there and his form was patchy anyway so I don't know it just seems a little bit of a little bit of a mess but then again the sort of the way you can look at it both ways you could look at it well say they're still sitting in third and the the beating Champions League finalists it's not that bad but I don't know with Spurs I just think they're always sort of one result away from it all just falling apart but then you know the Kane's still getting in the goals he didn't miss the penalty last week uh, Son's back on form as well he got two almost had a hat trick which was a shame for me in my fantasy team but as we said Ericsson looked very disinterested uh, midweek and well is is there something wrong there is it the players is it the system is it something that you can put your finger or is it just that they are at a position in the table where everything is scrutinized so much more than where they were before they're not they're, they're not quite as solid at the back as they were they they look a bit more vulnerable now there's a lot of players 
defensively at Spurs that aren't happy. You know, alongside Ericsson in the we don't we're not sure if we really want to be here. But Tongan's been in and out of the team this year because Pochettino's like, does this does this guy really want to play for us? Davison Sanchez is excellent, but he he needs he needs a regular partner, and they're chopping and changing the fullbacks. So there's a bit, there's not much continuity at the back, which is you know, if one position you do need a bit of continuity, it's there, and it's just I think Jay's right in the fact that things can fall apart at Spurs very very quickly, and it's it, Pochettino he does a good job of hiding it, but it is a, it is quite obvious that there is still discontent there with him, like he's never really got things the way that he wants it. Yes, they've got the stadium. He, he, in, does a manager really care about whether a club's got an amazing stadium or not? How's that going to affect his job? Like, yes, he's had a bit of money to spend this time, but has he still had the support from Daniel Levy? Like he says that he, he gets on well with Daniel Levy, but he's not going to come out and say he doesn't, is he? So and there's still that there's, there's that undercurrent of discontent from Pochettino, from players, from... There's just something never quite sits, does it? Is, is it, do you think, Fergal, I'll just put this one to you, do you think that maybe it's just happened a bit too quickly for Spurs? Because obviously they were planning for a long time to get the stadium, to overtake Arsenal, to move forward, to win some... Draw. And actually, it's it's all, it's all almost like they had a five-year plan yep. and it's happened in three years, apart from maybe the stadium, which took about three times longer than they planned <laughs> to get it done. But in terms of, do, do you think they've maybe got a little further ahead than than they'd plan to be? I know that maybe sounds a strange question because I know they've got things like the wage structure yep. in there that can cause problems. No, no, I think there's there's a fair bit of weight in that argument. And I think from if a Tottenham fan was, was looking at their situation so far this season, as Jay said at the beginning, they've, they've got every right to be a bit frustrated because you look at the, the end of last season, they reached Champions League final and got beat. They were strong in the league right up until the end and deserved the, the top four place. But theoretically, all the pieces of the jigsaw are in place to maintain a place in the top four, not be considered a maybe like they were two, three, four seasons ago and, and potentially push on. Like Liverpool and Man City are in a position now where, as as Pete mentioned, there's kind of a top four, but it's a top three, but there's really City and Liverpool are, are a good stretch away. Tottenham, in theory, are in a position at the start of the season to go, we are the side that is going to challenge City and Liverpool because we've got a squad, we've got experienced players, we've got goal scorers in, in Kane, in Son. We've got creativity in, in Ericsson, in, in Deli Alley. But f- ever since the season has started, something's just not smelt quite right. And and this kind of discontent does spread. And I think Ericsson's been obviously well publicised that he wanted to move away. But as Pete said, you're in a situation with Vertonghen and Alderweireld. They've both got less than a year left in their contracts. Very likely that they're going to leave. Probably will agree a pre-contract with the European side in January. This is all very rocky ground for Pochettino to not only be operating on, but to be to be going into training and going into the dressing room and saying, fellas, this is the best chance we've had in a very long time to be potentially in a title conversation. How are we not able to get it together? And because of the situation with Ericsson, because he's stayed, he now has to play. I mean, you know, we can we can draw all sorts of conclusions from his body language or his, his attitude or what he's put on Instagram or what he gave the cat for breakfast or whatever. But how he plays prior to this season is generally dictates how Tottenham play. When he plays well, Tottenham tend to win. Now you're relying on a player who's your main creative force, who's openly come out and said he doesn't want to be at the club anymore. And the club have, you know, I wouldn't quite say held them to ransom, but the club have said, you're not leaving unless we, you know, we get the money in for you that we want. And that's what Tottenham are now relying on. They're relying on what in the past were key players, dependable players, but now that just don't want to be at the club anymore. I think the thing with Ericsson is that he 
not I don't think he necessarily wanted to leave Tottenham. He wanted to go to Real Madrid rather than rather than it, it wasn't if there was another club that was in for him. I don't think he was that fussed. It was I want to go to Real Madrid. It's been a it's been a bit of a dream of mine to go to Real Madrid. So if that didn't work out, it's like all right, well. But are they not? I'll one, stay put. Are they not one and the same? No, what? I mean, it's also not, it's not a new phenomenon that that a player wants to leave, the move doesn't happen, and then he's he's not forced to stay, but he stays at the club that he's at, and then three weeks later he's scoring goals again and all is forgotten. I mean, footballers are quite fickle beasts, aren't yeah. they? And so if a, a few goals go in, Tottenham start winning a few games, all is well in the world, and it's not it's not like he you know he's he's playing further down the league or anything. He's still playing Champions League football. He's still playing in a good team, and he is he is reasonably happy where he's been. It's just that dream move. He thought this is the time to get that dream move. Didn't materialise, and but it's nothing you can do about it. Part, part of me wonders if we're just being a little bit over analytical and over critical because let's let's take a step back and go well as, as from a Spurs fan point of view. You've been to Champions League final, you've got a new stadium, you've mm-hmm. kept all of your best players and you're still holding up third and you're above your biggest rivals again for like third or fourth season in the row. So in that sense, you're in a much better position where you've been for a long time. So they're still in that sense forward momentum. Maybe it's just the expectation is higher. Now, speaking of high expectation, um, let's talk about Leicester. And uh, I'm going to put this to you, Nicely Jay. Done, yeah. <laughs> talk about Jay. No. Yes. High expectation, well, here's Jay. Just because just I, I was, I was going to come to you because obviously United beat um, Leicester last week. Yeah. But also it's this rather interesting situation where Leicester won the Premier League more recently than you did. They were, they were chanting that outside the stadium, which is yeah. one of the weirdest chants. Premier League champions more recent than you <laughs> was the actual chant from Leicester fans, which is accurate. It's a yeah. fair comment. Now, there's a few eyebrows raised when Brendan Rodgers was brought in last season, giving up Celtic coming down for that. But actually, he seems to be really moving that project forward. And do you think that there is something there that he's doing or he's got a combination of players that he could maybe move and even challenge Spurs for, for third place? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think going into the season, before the season started, I thought the top three actually was set. I thought it would be the top two of Liverpool and City and I thought Spurs nailed on mm-hmm. three. But when you scratch the surface, as we mentioned with Spurs, so we won't go into that, it's not set in stone that they're going to finish in the top four. I think there is sort of question marks there. And you look at Leicester and go when we were going into the United game last season, uh, sorry, last week, when we were looking at the, the game between United and Leicester, we're actually thinking, maybe going back to since we won the title, I can't remember so many Leicester players who would actually get into United's team. The, the likes of, I'd, I'd, I'd take Chilwell, I'd probably take... Tealman's I'd probably take them. Yeah, well, you, you keep throwing 80, 80 million at them. <laughs> yeah, well, come. Is, yeah, yeah, even after <laughs> Maguire, yeah. Madison would probably take him as well. So there's quite a lot of players there. There's even an argument that Vardy would get in our team as well that would get in there. So Leicester do have the players. And I think with Rodgers, it's easy to dismiss Brendan Rodgers and almost look at him as almost a comical figure at times because of yeah. some of the things he says and he's got a little, almost a David Brent persona. But he's actually a very good manager, if, we, if, we, if we're yeah. honest about it. What he did at Liverpool for a brief period, what he's done at Celtic as well, he, he knows his stuff, What he, you know, him going back before Liverpool at Swansea. So he is a good manager. And you look at that group of players, it, it can work. And I was actually, I felt relieved when we beat Leicester last week. And you might say, well, that's indicative of how far United have fallen. But on paper, that is a good team with a manager that can get them playing well. We've seen what they can do. We saw what they did against Chelsea as well this season. They, they, they can play nice football. They've got the players that can, can hurt you 
in, in attack. We did quite well to keep Madison quiet because we sort of we almost doubled up on him. I think that was that was the, the key for it. Vardy didn't really get the service that that he needed, and obviously Maguire mm. marshaled him quite well. So yeah, I think Leicester can be in that conversation. I think they've actually recovered from losing Maguire, and I don't think it's hurt him as much as as you'd think it would do losing eighty pound uh, an eighty million pound defender. So they are a strong team, and I think if. Brendan Rodgers can get them playing to their strengths, which I think he can, then they can be in that conversation. I mean, you look at the, the level with points, I think, with, with, with United, just on... Goal difference. Barely on goal difference, yeah. yeah. Um, so you'd say that United might be in the conversation top four, so why not Leicester? Do you think... Um, Peter, I'm going to put this one to you. Do you think we could ever see Leicester like get back into the Champions League? Let's put it at that level. Well, I think, I think Jay's right in the fact that, yeah... Brenda Rogers, it's the, it's the way he says things, isn't it? That makes him the. the it's the his joke. character. Yeah. He speaks in prose, doesn't he? Like, but he, if he if he goes to somewhere else, um, are they going to be able to attract a manager as talented as Brendan Rogers to replace him? Uh, that might be quite difficult. So I think it's very much the time is now that if they're gonna break into that top four with the squad that they've got because there's an argument that in the summer a lot of those players could leave if the bigger clubs come in for them so the time is now while they've got this, this the young players that um, and a good manager um, if next so this if they don't do it this year essentially then I think they might struggle next year and, and also other teams Chelsea are, 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 you know with the transfer ban are not quite as strong as they were Arsenal, Arsenal are a bit all over the place at the, mo- at the moment United aren't you know aren't anywhere near the force that they used to be so there's a spot available and this this could be it they're, you know they're, they're more than capable they've had the squad and the manager but I think it has to be this season Okay, so let's move on to our next game for today, and that is a replay of last season's, or this year's, FA Cup final. And who's going to be looking forward to this one the most, Fergal? Man City or Watford? Uh, I think you'd be struggling to find many Watford fans that will be you know, watching this through anything other than their, their hands uh, come, come kick off later today. Um, Kike Flores obviously coming back to the club is a slightly strange decision, Um it very rarely works in, in football management that if you go back that that you can be a roaring success um, and there's an enormous amount of issues in the background why Javi Garcia was, was kept on in the summer when there was issues with the ownership with issues with transfer funds being available and now you know, four or five games into the season he, get, he gets fired Garcia comes back in uh, sorry, Flores comes back in second half against Arsenal you started to see what he wants to do with this team at the start of the season, under Garcia, they, they looked like a team without a plan, without a, a way of playing. They, they looked lost. They looked short of confidence. Obviously, Troy Deeney, who's such a huge player for them, he's been out uh, recovering from surgery. He's not going to be back for another couple of weeks. I think for now, all Flores can do is try and make them a bit more solid, inject some confidence back into the players. But I think if we're looking at this game and, and within the context of Man City losing away at Norwich last weekend, if if we're expecting any sort of potential for, for Watford to, you know, give Man City a bit of a bloody nose or or to maybe push them or to give them a bit of a test, I, I, I think we're I think we're kidding ourselves to be to be blunt. Norwich have a very specific way of playing and they demonstrated that to great effect against Man City. Watford don't, and that's a combination of the hangover from Garcia leaving and the fact that Flores has only been in for not even two weeks. It's very difficult to get your to get your ideas across mm. and, and your system across. And they're facing a Manchester City side, and we chatted about this before we started recording, that when you listen to, to Pep Guardiola after the Shakhtar Donetsk game in midweek, midweek, he still was raging about the Norwich City defeat. The fact that they beat Shakhtar, the fact that they've got the Champions League campaign up and running, 
he, I wouldn't say not he didn't care, but you could just see in the way that he is. And there's no way he'll accept anything other than just an absolute dominant performance against Watford and all three points. And I think it's very difficult to see a chink of light for Watford in this game based on how they've started the season. I think 20, 30 minutes of positivity against Arsenal doesn't really change that for mm. me. I think I think you've got a very different set of circumstances if you're a Watford supporter right now to where you were at six months ago. Six months ago, you were flying high, potential of a qualification for Europa, and you were on your way to an FA Cup final for the first time in a long time. And we all know that didn't go so well, even though all the Watford fans I say said we had a great day out. Um, you know, and it just it just seems to have gone downhill. Now there was some grit, as you say, those last thirty minutes against Arsenal were brilliant. There was a real sort of buzz about the place, really upset a lot of Arsenal supporters, but that's not enough. Uh, to come so far. But what I do wonder, though, is when you look at cities over the last 12 months when City have lost games, a lot of the games they've lost have been against teams with nothing to lose. I'm talking about Newcastle. I'm talking about uh, Crystal Palace, obviously Norwich City, unexpected with anything to come. So possibly, is is that something in the favour of Watford? I mean, I know as a United fan, you're going to love to see them do one over City. (laughs) I would, I would. But what sort of would worry me if I was a Watford fan was... I think psychologically from the FA Cup final, that was such a one side. I know they had a sort of spell in the first half where Watford were in it, but by the end, people were criticising City for scoring so many goals. I mean, that's unheard of in an FA Cup final where you're getting mm. criticised for just making it such a hammering. It's like it's almost unfair. And I think that has got, that's got to be in the back of the players' minds, especially if the goal goal behind where you think... Are we going to get done over here again? Is this going to be another sort of five or six nil job? So I don't know. I mean, I would love it if Watford got a result. It'd be hilarious to see Norwich and then Watford get a result <laughs> against City. Like you said, you know, they're so dominant. But yeah, Watford can take some solace from that. And last season, I think that City, when they had their rocky spell, it was like, was it um, Newcastle and Leicester, was it? Where they yeah, had like the two in games. In December, yeah. yeah Palace, they had two oh. games close to each other. They had a couple of injuries. And they didn't, I think, was it Fernandinho was out of time? I know he's not out now, but mm. I think they lost him and, and they didn't cope with it very well. And so they might look at that and think, OK, maybe, maybe they can have this little rough patch again and then they'll recover from it. But like Fergal was saying, you look at the way Guardiola was, he was raging about it. He's not taking this lightly. He's not He's not shrugging this off and going, one of them, these things happen. No, he's having none of it. And I think, I think he'll be determined to put that right. And like you say, with the dominant performance, and let's face facts, on paper, City are just a far superior team to, to Watford. Everywhere on the pitch, perhaps, except for the defence. Uh, John Stone's now out for five weeks. We already know that Laporte's going to be out until probably February. Um, so that means you've got Fernandinho moving back into the defence uh, as a centre-back. Uh, the only other centre-backs they've got in the squad are really untested. Garcia's had a couple of games and the other young lad hasn't even made a first-team appearance. So my question to you, Pete, is for all the riches that everyone goes on about City, have they actually dropped the ball on this one with their recruitment policy? Because they did lose not only their club captain, but one of their most important players and defenders over the last 10 seasons. They knew he was going, they knew it was happening, they didn't replace him. Well, it's easy. It's easy to say now, isn't it? After a few injuries, that you say yes, yeah, oh, yeah, big time. But I, th- I thought the start of the season because I mean, just generals. It's just the general opinion in in football. It's on the whole is if you lose one of your best players in a key area, you bring someone in to replace him. You don't unless you've got a young player that he's he's tried and 
tested in in the first team and you can bring him in. And Eric Garcia is good, um, but he's not played enough games for City to anything like you know Vincent Company sort of impact at the club. So yes, they sh- they should you know they they they're not short of cash. We know that um, they bought another fullback because that was, that was an area they needed strengthening. So. They got a defensive midfielder because they thought, right, we need to strengthen that. So the other one, final one, was a centre half, and they just they didn't really didn't really go in for anyone. And, and, and I, I accept that you know that Liverpool sort the Liverpool sort of stance is that if the players aren't available, don't sign them. Like they wait, they didn't when they didn't get Van Dijk the first time, they didn't sign anyone else. They waited for him, but just cover. I mean, you don't have to sign. You don't have to sign like a first team player. You just f- sign somebody 15, 15, 20 million pound. That's I know it's still a lot of money, but in in football terms today it's not. Just f- sign someone who can come in. But I think I think as as it stands, I think they're just about all right. One more injury then they're, then they're in trouble. But Kyle Walker, Kyle Walker can play there as well. Like he's he played there for England, hasn't he? At centre half. Um, Fernandinho's brilliant wherever he plays. He's one of the most really frustrating players. who's just absolutely brilliant as as an uh, any opponent. You hate playing against him because he just he doesn't even sprint, does he? He's just he just he just he's just there. You, you, you think you're a counter attack, and then all of a sudden he just sort of pops up from below the pitch, doesn't he? And sticks out a leg, takes the yellow card, and then that's your end of the best attack of the game. So he's just he's just one of those frustrating players who just gets everything right. And I think I think he'd be quite good as a centre half. So I I don't actually think they'll be too short for now. So with that in mind, Fergal, is, is this something that Liverpool have got right this season? Because everybody went, what are you signing Adrian for? And then, of course, uh, almost, was it the first first real game? You know, Alisson injured in the most innocuous way with a goal kick. And uh, Adrian, although he's, you know, he, 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 he won them the Super Cup mm-hmm. effectively with that penalty save. And he's done all right. But it's been somebody with experience that's been able to come in. Also, when Liverpool have brought players in, we've seen the difference that Alisson and Van Dijk made to that team which says to me the importance for all your Salas, for all your Manes, for all your Firminos, the importance, the difference between success and failure comes from the back. It does indeed. And I think to, to kind of borrow what Pete just said in terms of planning, um, you don't have to buy a world beater. You just have to buy someone with a solid level of experience, particularly in the Premier League as they've done with Adrian. But I don't think we can talk up Liverpool's kind of, in inverted commas, masterstroke here. The move for Adrian wasn't, necessarily motivated by cover it was motivated by the fact that Simon Mignolet pushed for a move late doors in the transfer window Adrian only came in after it became obvious that Mignolet was going to leave Jurgen Klopp looked at the situation and they had um, Kevin Kelleher who's the, the under-23s goalkeeper and, and that would have been their only option uh, they had Andy Lonergan who, who was on a, a short-term trial and he knew that they needed someone in between but had Mignolet stayed the move for Adrian wouldn't have come about I think what Liverpool did is they reacted very quickly to the situation. And, um, you know, you speak to anyone that supports Liverpool and they will say that, you know, Adrian's phone pretty much rang within hours of Mignolet leaving to, to go back to Belgium. And he was he was training with, a, I think it was a sixth division side in, in, in Spain. Um, and they basically said, what are you up to for the next few months? Fancy it? And he went, yeah. And he probably thought he was thinking, yeah, I've just sit on the bench, you know, nice comfy seats, a few quid in the pocket. And then, oh, what? Alisson's, oh, he's in. Oh, my God. Um, <laughs> and, it, you know, he's, he's done okay when he's come in. But Liverpool fans are, are itching for Alisson to come back in terms of the performances that Adrian has put in. So, yeah, a little bit of last minute planning. But I don't think it was a, a longer term thing of saying, right, we need an actual backup for, for, um, for Alisson because... Liverpool up until the 11th hour 
thought they'd kind of appeased Mignolet to stay for at least another season so they could bring Kelleher through. So, yeah, I'll give them some credit, but I'm not going to go to town on giving Liverpool credit. I'm just going to point out at this point, at this juncture right here, though, that for all that we've said and talked about the importance of injuries, the team that turned City over last weekend yeah. had eight first team injuries, which led to them putting two, naming two goalkeepers on the bench. Uh, that was Norwich. We're going to talk about Norwich's game today and also the rest of the games happening this weekend. Plus, of course, the extremes that you've gone to uh, to make sure you get to see a game. We'll talk all about those uh, after this little break on the Football Social Daily. Football Social Daily, Premier League Preview. Football Social Daily. Get daily news and updates on your team via your Amazon Alexa. Just ask Alexa. Open Sports Social. Welcome back to the Football Social Daily. This is the Premier League preview show. Looking ahead to all the big games this weekend. Helping me do that in the studio, we have Jay, we have Fergal, we have Pete, and my name's Ant McGinley. So we've been through a couple of games already. A lot happening. Very packed weekend of games. Uh, Sunday we've got two games at 2 o'clock, two games at 4 o'clock. Let's focus on the rest of the games happening today for now. Uh, Burnley-Norwich. Now, um... Puki is is really a star at the moment and an absolute bargain uh, for for a free as well, which uh, you, you, he's, he's one of the top scoring players in all four divisions and um, he, he looks like he's the real deal. What was very interesting for me in that game against City, it wasn't just the goals he's the goal he scored; it was his creation, and and that says a lot to me. So, the, is he a player that's going to stay at Norwich? I think he's one of those players that he's at the right club. Like if he was, if he was at another club under a different manager, a different system, a different environment, he might not be quite as, as clinical. I think he's very much in the right place for him, and I, I agree with that. The pass for the the second goal when he mm. squared it, I mean that was absolutely brilliant. Like to a striker normally are, are very very selfish in those situations, but it was it was the way it was executed as well. It was absolutely perfect, and the celebration from Cantwell really annoyed me as well because. If you get that good a pass, you go straight over to him and you put your point <laughs> in and you, and you, th- you, don't, you don't run off and start knee sliding when you've tapped it in from two yards. And Puki had done all that, laid on a goal for you against City and he went straight to the corner, did a ridiculous celebration. And, and I know I sound like a gr- gr- grumpy old man, but it really annoyed me. <laughs> no, I, 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 think, I think you have a point. Um, it- <laughs> He's only a kid, though, and he can't always can't always. He's only yeah, a yeah. bit, bit excited, though. He's, he's, he's had his first goal as well, first Premier League goal in, uh, I, I, I've, against I've, City. I've direct messaged him on Twitter. <laughs> like, what, what I, thought, and I mean, none I'm of blocked, it. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it, it, the, the thing is, Nor- Norwich, again, are, are seem to be having, having a similar season, um, so far anyway, to their greatest ever season in the Premier League, where, if you remember, they finished third with minus seven goal difference. <laughs> All right, So uh, there's almost that kind of Kevin Keegan Cavalier style about them uh, it, you know, are, are they going to stay up or is it going to be a team that, that burns brightly to begin with and then struggles as the season goes on Fergal I worryingly think and, and I feel bad because it seems like everyone you come to me for the bad bits everyone else gets the exciting <laughs> stuff um, yeah I do because I think there's an enormous reliance on Puki to score them goals and I think generally speaking when we what we've seen with sides that have been promoted and, and lasted for a season or two or three is that there's been another outlet there's been someone that they could maybe pull off the bench that when it, when it gets to the real meat of the season, January, February, March time, when chances are Norwich are going to be up against it, they're going to be in real need of points. They don't have the squad. You mentioned, obviously, injuries. 
they're already in a terrible situation with injuries. So we're now, unfortunately, seeing the squad players they've got. They're not going to be players that are going to dig them out of holes. Cantwell, I know Pete's upset with him. Looks don't, like a, don't, don't bring it up again. <laughs> uh, looks like a good player. And Pookie, as you say, started the season really well. But I just look at these situations when, when we get into the, to the business end of the season, when you're going to need somebody else to step up, somebody from midfield to start chipping in with goals. You're going to need to have a back line that you know you can depend on. They've got their two main centre-backs out until uh, next year, Zimmerman and, and Tim Close. These are all these are all going to mount up. I think for now, there's obviously going to be a lot of feel-good factor. Beating City, the runner games they've got coming up in the next few weeks can, can benefit them. But I think when we start rolling on and the games start piling up post-Christmas, post-New Year, I think it's going to be a lot for them to, to be battling against when you've just got one little finish fella up top putting in the goals. I, I can imagine you being a horrible manager there. Right, you've just beat the champions. They won the treble. I want you all in at training 8am tomorrow. I'm not happy. Uh, what about Burnley? I mean, Burnley nicked a point last week at Brighton. Uh, the thing that stood out for me for that game was Nick Pope. Nick Pope looking really good. He's, he missed the most of last season with injury and that came just after breaking into the England squad. Obviously, things have things have changed uh, with the pecking order at Burnley in terms of being in goal. But I was watching that thinking, you know what? The way things have been going at Everton for Pickford, Pope could be in with a shout of, of, of representing us at the Euros. Absolutely. I mean, you know, I mean, they've got a, quite a good record, haven't they, Burnley, of recent years with goalkeepers. I think mm-hmm. Eaton was doing a really good job there. And we had an absolute worldie against United at Old Trafford yeah. once where we just couldn't get past him. For... Did that Schmeichel save, didn't he? Where yeah. He it, I think thing. we were still playing the game. Now it's still been 0-0. Yeah. <laughs> he, was, uh, he was unreal. And as you said, Pope's come in and... With, listen, Burnley can be solid defensively, but you are going to get chances against him, so he is going to get tested, and he he steps up to that. And you're right, you look at other, not just Evan, but other teams might look at it and think there's a player because you know Burnley are a club you can buy players from. So if someone was looking for a goalkeeper with Premier League experience who's still relatively young, Pope would be a, a good option for them. So yeah, I think that he's been one of the uh, the standout players for Burnley. Burnley on a whole, I think, have got. A, quite a strong sort of 11 I think it's like a little bit like Norwich you get one or two injuries you start looking at who they bring in and think are they that good but I know last season I was I was sort of pleasantly surprised I was surprised I don't say pleasantly I was surprised Burnley they came to Old Trafford again and got another draw mm. 2-0 but um, it was actually Barnes had a really good season last season didn't he? and Wood as well stepped, stepped up with him don't, be, don't forget though Jay that Joseph Hart is still sat on the bench at Burnley as well. <laughs> I, yeah, it's it's weird, isn't it? Because that he was move, third choice last season. He, he, he thought he thought he'd go there and he automatically be first choice, yeah. get his England career back on track, uh, and that that was the whole idea behind that move. Yeah. And yet, yeah, like you say, he had Pope and then Heaton think in yeah. front of him. Then Heaton's obviously moved on, and he's and still he's still not getting a game. <laughs> yeah, he's like what? He's gone, and he's he's not that old, Joe. Hart, no, is he's he? not. Is he what thirty two something like it's that? One of the weirdest one of the weirdest Which declines I, I I think I've ever seen, and I. I I cannot explain it. What seven or eight years ago, he was I'll, one of the best goalkeepers. I'll tell, in I'll tell you when it happened, Go and on. it wasn't. A lot of people blame Pep Guardiola coming in and saying it's because he was shouting too much. It wasn't that. It was the moment he did those head and shoulder adverts. Right? <laughs> that, that was it right, when it okay. changed. That there was something yeah. happened then, yeah. right? And his head was t- well, his head and shoulders were turned. Uh, but it was. You look back at the record, the results. Then that seemed to be when it went all wrong. So we're, we're talking about goalkeepers. Talked about Nick Pope. Let's talk about who's currently got the England number one spot. Uh, Jordan Pickford at Everton. They're at home today against Sheffield United. Something's not right at Everton. They've got an awful record away from home. Not been that great at home. Uh, lost against Bournemouth last time out. Um, they 
seem to have spent really well mm. in the transfer window this summer. But then again, a lot of people said that last year as well. Marco Silva seems bulletproof for whatever yeah. reason. But what what's what's not happening? I don't know how it's transpired, but I've ended up covering Everton quite a bit this season. And um, they, they're brilliant at home. Um, you can't beat them at home. Um, but then away from home, it just falls apart. And it comes back to the sort of Marco Silva's problems that he had at Watford and initially at Everton with his, de- his defence. They just, you put the ball in the box uh, against Everton and, and, and like, like, like what happened with his Watford side and the defence just falls apart. At home, they've got the second best defensive record this year um, behind City. Um, it is absolutely brilliant at home. You, can't, you cannot score past them. But then away from home, it, just, it goes to pot. And Marco Silva, he's fighting fires at Everton always because the fans are so expectant, um, especially after they spent so much money. But he sorts one thing out. They've got this settle back four now, really solid at the back. And he's bought all these attacking players. And you think, right, OK, we're sorted now. And then they're just, it's not working. It's just not worked so far. He doesn't know his best team. He doesn't know who's going to, you know, is Alex Awobi playing there or Theo Walcott? Um, are they one in the same? Delph's been good since he's come in. Um, Keane's, you know, he's only young. He, he needs more game time. It's just, it doesn't, it, nothing's quite working yet. But there's two really big games coming up for them, both at home with their good home record. If they beat Sheffield United um, and then they've got City, which at home they, they have a chance, I think, against. Um, win those two games, all is forgotten, and they'll be they'll be right up there, and they'll have beaten City. At the start of the season, a lot of people predicted Sheffield United to struggle, and it looks like that might be starting to happen. Would- well, anyone that listens to the podcast regularly would would know that I said the exact opposite of that at the start of the season, and I and I was bullied into to making a bit of a bold prediction on them. And you know, I'm I'm a man of my word, and I'm going to stick with that. I think what's happened to them, um, not to to put it too simplistically, is that they are struggling to convert what was regular championship level goal scorers into Premier League goal scorers, and there was a big sign of that was last weekend's defeat against Southampton. We chatted about this before we started recording. Southampton barely had a kick in attack for the whole game they get one chance from from Moussa Dinjepo and he beats a couple of Sheffield United players and, and bangs it in the back of the net Sheffield United had four or five really good chances David McGoldrick Ollie McBurney I know McBurney then had one ruled out by VAR this is something that's going to be a little bit of an issue for Chris Wilder and for Sheffield United they are a good team he's you know he, he tries to play football in the in the right way he's you know he, he's very competent but Goals, it's kind of what I said before about Norwich, goals are what you live and die by as a newly promoted team. If you can get one nils against the size that you're in and around, in, in, you know, the, the middle of the table towards the bottom half of the table, you've got a fighting chance of staying up. And the Southampton defeat was indicative of players that are low on confidence. McGoldrick being the prime example, he was fantastic for them last season. I think he was, I'm not sure if he was top scorer or second top scorer behind Billy Sharp. It's a big difference in the, in the Premier League. And it's not just about being able to get in front of defenders or being quicker. A couple of the chances that he had, he was actually in space, but mentally, a lot they're starting to look a little bit tired. And I think that's what creeps in in these situations. If you're mentally tired and you've got one chance with 15 minutes to go, you're not clear enough in your mind to go, just just stick this in the back of the net. Just 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 put your foot through this and, and get, get us a point, get us, maybe even get us a win. That's going to be a little bit of an issue for them. And, and against Everton uh, at Goodison Park, as, as Pete said, Everton are so strong at home 
Defensively, they do have issues, but they're not going to give away many chances you would anticipate on, on home turf. And when you're dealing with strikers that at the moment need five, six more chances to, to register a goal, that's that spells trouble for me. It spells trouble if they're that tied this early into the season. Let's look at games involving the other two teams in the bottom three then as well. So we've got uh, Newcastle against Brighton later today and then tomorrow at two o'clock, uh, Palace against Wolves. Uh, who do you want to pick out from those, Jay? Any of those? Uh, well, P- Palace, I know too, only too well this season because they came to Old Trafford and, uh, <coughs> and beat us. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which I don't think, I think we're being honest, don't think anyone saw coming. Well, I certainly didn't. Yeah. And, and the way things have been going, Wolves looking very shaky. Maybe what they've got is they've picked up the Europa curse that Burnley had last season, <laughs> yeah. even though they've been doing much better in the Europa. Yeah, it's a strange one with Wolves because, I mean, I, the guys might disagree. I just didn't see this coming. I thought they looked relatively okay last season at the, towards the end of last season I don't think there was any signs that the wheels were coming off I thought I think with Nuno they've got a great manager I think they've got some really good players it was, again not to keep bringing it back to United but they, they got a result against us they got a draw I know it's not the best result but we went ahead and they, they dug in and they, Ruben Neves with a goal as, as he often does um, so the, yeah they were a good football inside as well so it, it shocked me at sort of how much they've struggled this season because I didn't think they would struggle that much as well. I thought, okay, one or two injuries, you might think that they've got issues, but not to the extent that they have where now there's like pressure on the manager already at this stage of the season after after what he's done there and, and how early we are in the season. For him to be sort of spoken about as potentially, you know, the next manager gets sacked seems a little bit crazy to me. In terms of Palace... There was so much of a circus around Zaha, wasn't there, in the summer. It was all became about Zaha and, and what was happening with him. And, and you almost forget, they've had, and obviously we, we bought Wan-Bissaka off him, but they've still got some good players there. They've got a manager who's got bags of experience and who, who's sort mm. of, again, going back to the Brendan Rodgers thing, probably doesn't get the credit he deserves, Roy Hodgson, because he can be a figure of fun in some aspects. And people look at his England thing and they go, oh, look at what he did in England. It was, wasn't good enough. And some of the things he did in Liverpool as well, he gets a lot of stick for that, which understandably, because he was a bit of a disaster at Liverpool. But he's actually a very astute manager who knows the Premier League, knows how to get the best out of players on a limited budget. And he's probably, if he was struggling, he's probably the manager you'd want. Yeah, with the exception of Christian Benteke, who's... Oh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, he's having still, a still, yeah. I mean, he Talking had that about moment. strikers oh. misfiring, uh, going back to some goals, but like, <sighs> Benteke, what's going on there? The Palace have only got three goals, scored this three goals this season, two of them were at Old Trafford. That <laughs> says it all, doesn't it? I don't know, I don't know it says more about United than it does about Palace. Was it, fair. was it last season or the season before where they had the Crystal Palace goal of the month and they'd only scored one goal in all the games? And so the three, the shortlist of the three goals was the same goal. <laughs> oh, no. no. Let, let's have a quick look at the other game uh, involving the bottom three, and that's uh, Newcastle, who had a brilliant start last weekend, yeah. like shocked everybody in the early kickoff uh, by going ahead against Liverpool, and they take on. Graham Potter's Brighton. What a hit that was. That's his weaker foot. He was cutting onto his right foot as a weaker foot. But they were they were very much the second best. Obviously, I mean, there's no shame in being second best against Liverpool, of course. But um, that was very much... I wouldn't read too much into them taking the lead at Anfield. That was very much a bolt out of the blue and they were never going to get anything out of that game, really. Um, still very much an unknown entity under Bruce. Um, Joel Linton has, has shown... Moments where you know he he might justify his um, his fee. Almiron's come back from injury and he's been okay. So it's that you you still don't know. You still don't know with Newcastle uh, and Steve Bruce. It's 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 a great move for him um, to come back to to his native club. 
Um, but for Newcastle, to go, it's I, I know quite a few Newcastle fans, and they're very much to go from Rafa Benitez to to Steve Bruce is is still very difficult to take. And that's no slight on Steve Bruce. That's no, you know, there he's. Steve Bruce has already come in and Newcastle fans are looking at him and going, we already automatically don't like you because you you replaced someone that we absolutely adored. And that's nothing, no matter what Steve Bruce came in and said, there's nothing he could do to turn that around because he wasn't Rafa Benitez. So he was already fighting a losing battle there. But he's done okay, actually. He's done he's done better than some people would give him, you know, give him credit for. And he could, look, he's not a bad manager, is he? He's just not, he's just not a particularly glamorous appointment. In more ways than one, um, so he's. I I think I think they'll do all right. I've, I've been pleasantly surprised, and I think um, Joe Linton I think will will come good at some point this season. Right, we'll see. And uh, let's have a look also uh, Arsenal against Aston Villa. That's tomorrow, four uh, thirty kickoff. Uh, Arsenal threw it away against Watford. Villa could do a job on them. Do you reckon? Um, again, Arsenal are just in a situation you really don't know what's going to happen. The uh, first half, excellent. Aubameyang, two really nice goals, and we went in at half time, and I thought, this is it. This is this is what it. This is what it's like. This is how you know normal football fans are able to behave. We're two 0 up at half time. Oh no, wait, it's Arsenal, um, and that was exactly the case. We touched on it a few minutes ago with Kike Flores and and what he kind of did in the second half to to take the game away from Arsenal. But Arsenal handed it to him, like handed it to him on the plate and it, it was just so frustrating there's there's the interview with Granite Shaka after the game where he's come out and criticised his teammates saying they didn't want the ball and that they were hiding and, and you know Granite Shaka seems to have a pretty short memory of the fact of the amount of times he's been directly responsible for Arsenal losing a game uh, now because he's, he's got the armband he thinks he's like bulletproof in this sort of criticism and anyone that watched the second half against Watford would have said you know what Granite if you'd concentrated on you getting the ball yourself maybe you wouldn't have been spending so much time looking at these things Um, against Villa again it's such a difficult one to predict but I think Home advantage, you you would you would obviously steer towards Arsenal in this situation. Villa have been good in patches, but again, they're in a in a similar situation to Fulham last season. Mm. They've spent an enormous amount of money. They're still getting players to bed in. Uh, slightly as I said before with Sheffield United, the, the players that were their big players in the Championship, the likes of John McGinn, he was really good in the opening day against Tottenham, but since then he hasn't really been able to step it up. Jack Grealish, captain. Obviously, a big fans' favourite with the Villa fans hasn't really been able to kick on. I I also think he's under quite a bit of pressure. I think the club's putting pressure on him. I think he's putting pressure on himself. So, yeah, you you would hope and I, and I would steer towards Arsenal winning this. But given the fact that Arsenal are so inconsistent and so irritatingly frustrating, I, I wouldn't put my house on it. No. And uh, just reflecting how far the mighty have fallen, the last game that we're going to look at. <laughs> the delight uh, on his face. Are you all looking at me? Can I go? Uh, so uh, the mighty West Ham taking the minnows that are Manchester United. It's another mouthwatering mid-table clash, isn't it? We had Leicester You know United what? On a serious note, week. though, this is the first time I can ever remember thinking of a game where I've put West Ham as favourites over United. I mean, again... It's sort of one of those where you look at it and you think... I don't think... When I was talking about Leicester earlier, where there's quite a few Leicester players that I'd take at Old Trafford, that's not really the case with West Ham. But I think West Ham as a team, they, they've got a relatively good record against us. And last season at, at London Stadium was a bit of a watershed moment for many United fans with Jose Mourinho. We yeah. went there, he played three at the back. It was had, that first 20 minutes, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, and he had... He, he, and it was obvious what he was doing because mm. we had Scott McTominay as a centre-back um, and then... 
halfway through the game, he took Lindelof off and kept McTominay. He was sending a statement out to the board that mm-hmm. you've not bought him the defender I wanted, so I'm going to start playing midfielders in defence to prove a point. Now, if you want to prove a point and you're winning football matches, fair enough, but when you're getting battered <laughs> by West Ham, the fans aren't going to stomach it. And I think that's when the tide with the fans especially turned against him. So it is a difficult one. West Ham, we know they've got some, some quality, but I don't know, for some reason, I don't know why it's probably more sort of my heart than my head. I just feel a little bit confident going into this one. I was more pessimistic going into Leicester game, and being honest, but I think we can actually get a result here. I think, yes, we've we've got injuries and we're going to miss Martial and we're going to miss Pogba. I think they're out as well. Uh, again, sorry. Um, and we are overly reliant on Marcus Rashford. But I don't know. I just think that maybe, just maybe, sort of the... the feel-good factor is becoming a little bit like it was when Oli first arrived. I think people are starting, the fans are, anyway, maybe not everyone, maybe not media and whatnot, but the fans are certainly at Old Trafford and the away games are sort of getting behind Oli and buying into what he's trying to do and understand the fact that we have got rid of some of the players that we needed to get rid of, and Lukaku and um, Smalling um, and Sanchez, obviously, and we're bringing some of these youngsters through and we've addressed some of the defensive issues we've got with Maguire and Wambisaka. So we can see what he's trying to do. And it's going to take time. We've got to be patient. So, I don't know. I'm cautiously optimistic. So, from a, a neutral point of view, it seems like Pellegrini's doing some really good things at West Ham. He's brought in some great players. Uh, Sebelaire looks really good, like the real deal. Well he, yeah. he, he, he's come from um, doing such a good job in the Bundesliga and he's coming. He's, he's hit the ground running and he's, he's big. He's got... He's huge, isn't yeah, he? <laughs> it's like, wow. Uh, yeah. And would it be... Would it be too much to say that you almost think that West Ham could have the better squad? Yeah, I think you push. I think you push. He's, I know. I know. I know what he's trying to do. Oh, that. I know. He's, yeah. No, he's the big gun. I just asked the question. Yeah, yeah, no, just the, well, I, well, yes. right, we'll try and give a diplomatic and calm answer. Uh, no, no um, they don't. They don't have uh, as good a squad as, as Manchester United. It's, it's it's closer than it was, and they've bought well. Four Niles is an excellent signing as well. Um, and they've got, they have got quite, they've got some really good players. Declan Rice is excellent. Diop's really good at the back, mm. and they kept them in the summer when there was big clubs in for them. Um, but no, I don't think. I don't. Th- I, th- I still think in other areas, uh, United are, are, are much stronger. Um, I think last season, uh, West Ham's keeper had a better shot stopping rate than De Gea. Well, that's because he had to face a lot more shots. Is that not the yeah. case? But um, yeah, Fabianski is an, is an excellent goalkeeper. I'll give you that. But he's not. He's not David De Gea. We're not. We're certainly not having that. <laughs> I'm going to put my finger away. I'm starting. I'm starting yeah, he's starting to get under my skin. But um, I, 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 I agree. I don't know why. I, I, I don't mean why I agree with you, Jay. No, but I mean no, like people often I, say that to me. Yeah, <laughs> but I, I actually think the the much more um, much more confident in United getting a victory. At West Ham than I, than I was against Leicester at home. Just I, I don't know what it is. I, 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 it's getting slightly better. I mean the Astana match was was you know that's no barometer I know because there's a lot of kids playing but it wasn't great. It wasn't great to watch the senior players that played in that were not great. But um, United's first eleven is pretty good now and there's some good young players coming through. There's not a great deal of strength in depth. But if everyone turns up and and, and Rashford's puts away his chances then I'd 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 fancy United to to win and and win reasonably comfortably so not surprise surprise the two United fans in the studio <laughs> that is a surprise I don't even spoke to any United fans yeah, recently yeah, yeah. but until the like, last couple of games yeah. it was all doom and gloom so yeah I just think I don't know I think I'm 
I just think maybe we're getting a little bit like we we can see signs. We can see the signs okay, of what yeah. what Ollie's trying to do, which is the is a sort of not a first because we saw it when he first came in, but yeah. certainly you know the beginning of the season we were a bit up and down. But now I can see what he's trying to do. In a word, Fergal, um, who's going to win? Actually, you can't do that. United. Just do two words uh, mash mash together. Um, I'm, I'm gonna yeah yeah. I'm gonna go for the, I'm gonna go with the crowd uh, and say and say Man United of, of course. I you know. I'm really enjoying seeing how uncomfortable these two are with uh, the potential that West Ham have got the better squad. But I think United are showing shoots of recovery. There was there was good stuff from them in the Europa League against Astana. United should win this. All right. Well, we'll find out. So that's all the games we've looked at. Let's look at something slightly different. And to uh, start the conversation, here's Jim from on the left side. <laughs> England fans have been advised that they should get down and do the down and dirty this week if they want to think ahead to next summer. The reason being that if you do the do now, by the time the European Championships roll around, you could be in for some bumper free time as a new little England fan arrives and your paternity leave kicks in. In other words, have sex now and your new baby should arrive when the Euros are on. To be honest, this smacks of exactly the kind of financial planning that is rotting football right now. A short-sighted, short-term gain for long-term trouble. Sure, two weeks free time off for a feast of international football sounds like a great idea. But think about this. How much financial impact would two weeks off work without pay cost you if you took it off now? A grand? Two grand? Maybe a little bit more? Even if you're on Alexi Sanchez's kind of wages, it's going to pale in comparison to the estimated... Wait for it. £188,000 that it costs to raise a child from birth to the age of 17. Plus, if you think for a moment that having a new child is actually a free pass to watch football rather than anything other than a sleep-deprived, poo-filled, foggy-brained ride through the very centre of hell, then you're more deluded than most Crystal Palace fans who think they've got a chance of staying in the Premier League this season. So rather than enjoying the football, you'd be more likely to be sat there watching a small, helpless being rolling around on the floor and screaming. It would be just like having Ashley Young back in the England squad. You can find more from On The Left Side in our weekly podcast. Find us wherever you listen to podcasts. So there we go. A hundred and, it was 188,000, they said, the cost of bringing yep. up a child. Anybody want to go and start a family? That's, uh, that, that ship sailed for me, unfortunately. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> if anyone's got any discount going, maybe, but no, 108,000. No. Uh, so that that's made me think with that. That's quite an extreme to go to, uh, to... To sort of be able to watch games of football, so that, you know, to be able to like plan that far ahead to have that time off. So it got me thinking. We're all dedicated football fans here. Um, what extremes have you gone to in the past to see a football match? And it could be, you know, you've spent a stupid amount of money, or you've travelled a ridiculously long distance, or you've just told a really big lie. Jay, I mean, what what, what would you add to uh, that mix? Um, well, I was a bit of a yeah. I mean. Trying to think about back to when I've sort of gone to extremes. I've gone to some extremes to watch football matches. The one that sort of springs to mind, especially when you talk about money, was we were over in South Africa uh, for the World Cup. I was working. I was working there, and we were in Johannesburg. Um, I actually had tickets for Mexico versus Argentina, and it was England versus Germany. I think it was the same day or whatever, but it was in Bloemfontein. And we were like, me and the lads, we were all from England. We were working out there, and we were like, I'm not a massive England fan, but we were like, oh, it's England, Germany. 
we've, it's a knockout game. We've got to go. We've got to do this. So the only way we could get there, the only way we managed to sort of organise was a taxi. This guy, this guy from Zimbabwe offered to take us in a taxi. And, and he quoted us a price which was relatively dear, but doable. And then on like five hours before kickoff, because he was giving us like the, the runaround, he was like, it's going to cost 1500 quid. And it was like, there was no other option. We couldn't get a train. We couldn't get a ta- or, uh, any other taxis. How it was far like, is it? It's it took us about it's about a four hour journey I think in the car. It was, wow! It was it, he proper had us over. He's probably like you know he, he probably, that was it probably it for the year. He probably retired after that. He was just like right I don't have to work for the rest of the year. Um, but we we debated and we were like oh well we either don't go or we we pay this extortionate amount. Um, and the the three lads I was with were pretty staunch England fans. I wasn't that fussed, but it was like we're in this together, so we did it. And went and watched England lose four one, and then <laughs> got a two day train journey back. So it was just a complete disaster, to be honest with you. <laughs> wow. What, what about you, Pete? You, what kind of extremes have you gone to for football? Mine's a similar thing with with the World Cup. We were students at home watching England, Sweden, and we thought, should we go? Uh, we're like, well, we all looked at our collective bank accounts, so it didn't get three figures between us. So we're like, oh, no, we better no, but no, let's let's do it. Let's go. Well, you ask your mom. You ask uh, n- nothing. They wouldn't give. They already lent us enough. We're already in enough debt with them. So we thought, you know what, we've got enough for a flight, let's go. And then worry about the rest later. <laughs> Terrible idea, um, really. We, 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 had a t- we had a three-man tent between four of us um, to stay in where we could. Um, but we found a money-making exercise while we were there in the fan, in the fan parks with the, um, the cups, the recyclable cups that you get. It was €1.50 if you return the cup. People, obviously, after, after several drinks, don't bother keeping hold of them and taking them back. They just drop them on the floor, so... We came along. In, if anything, we were doing a good deed as well because we were cleaning the cleaning the place and then also making about hundred euros a night each off it. And that's how we paid for our accommodation, drinks, and uh, and all our food for three and a half weeks. How many cups did you have to pick up? For it was a that? lot. So it was. You know, have you seen the beer snakes at the cricket that they do? It was very much like that. And we but but one in each hand. It was very, 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 very difficult. I've, I've got this image of you doing that and then coming back the next day in a Hummer or a limousine. <laughs> a, a low a low point was when I had. Two two armfuls of of, uh, of of cups and I fell flat on my face and because I had the cups in my hand I had nothing to stop me so I literally fell flat on my face in in wet beer and had to pick up the cups again. Mm-hmm. <sighs> so uh, two experiences of extremes in the World Cup. Fergal, uh, what kind of extremes? Do you have, what what have you done? Told, uh, told lies, spent money. Uh, my my story is a bit of a mix of, of all three, um, and and it's not it's not a story I'm proud of at all. But I'm going to tell it anyway. Um, my home is from Euro 2016, following uh, following Ireland. So the final group game we beat Italy, and I woke up in the morning in in Lille and felt horrendous. Um, we spent hundreds of euros in, in, on drink, and, and to call it a hangover would have been an understatement. Um, we were due to get the train into Paris to, to fly back to England that night. Um, and it just never happened. It was a combination of hangover and a combination of we realised that we've been drawn against France in in the last sixteen in Lyon. Uh, nobody's French language skills or French geography was up to anything. Um, and after about an hour, the the group of us had convinced each other that yeah, come on, we're going to go, we're going to go to Lyon. So only then did someone go right. Well, let's do some research. Uh, I think it was a five five and a half hour train journey. Okay, no problem. Um, and we kind of made an agreement amongst ourselves. By this stage, people were dropping out. The hangovers were starting to kick in. And, you know, a lot of the more sensible, you know, realistic people were like, no, we're getting trained to, to Paris. Um, me and one other fella that I managed to bully, you know, stayed true to it. And I said, look, if we can get tickets, we'll go. If we can't, we'll take it as a sign 
and we'll fly home. So I go on to Twitter and I finally managed to, to get hold of this French guy based in Lyon. And just for uh, anonymous purposes, we'll call him we'll call him Pierre. Nice French name. <laughs> Pierre gets back to me pretty quickly and he says, yeah, yeah, I've got two tickets. Uh, it'll be 300 euro each. So again, we were like, okay, yeah, we can pay it. We're like, brilliant. So messaged him back on Twitter. And he was like, yeah, perfect, sorted. Right, right, now we need to sort some accommodation nothing not not a not a room to be had in 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 leon so just on the absolute off chance i message pierre and i say listen i don't suppose you know of anybody that's got a spare room going and he messages me back and says do you know what well in his broken english he said you're in you have luck he said you have luck fergal uh, i have spare room in my house come so we did the sensible thing and we got on the train to leon we arrive in Lyon and then it was another 20 minute taxi out to Pierre's house. We arrive into Pierre's house and we're like, look, come on, you know, we're just here for one night. It's the game. And then, you know, we, you know, we'd already, we'd organised the flight back from Lyon the next day. We'll just get through it. We'll just get through it. We'll just get through it. Um, we go into the flat and Pierre welcomes us in. Uh, the, there wasn't so much a spare room as a spare space. So what Pierre didn't tell us is that he was married with a young child uh, living in in a one-bedroom apartment in Lyon. So we had a sofa and a floor to sleep on. So it was a bad start to things, but things got even worse. Uh, about half an hour later, I realised that the reason I'd booked the flight previously was that I was in work the following day. What can I do? So I have to ring work. And, and I, I, you know, we've all thrown sickies and we've all phoned into work and got away with it. So I was like, right, I've got, I've got to think of something good. They know that I'm in France. This has got to be big. This has got to be big. I've got, I've got, to, I've got to go whole hog here. And this is something that I am quite ashamed of. I thought, what can people not say no to? Children. <laughs> and my friend was like, yeah, but you don't have any children. Like, yeah, but work don't know that. So right. I phoned work and told them that my non-existent infant child had been up all night with their vomiting and fever. Yeah, yeah. You know, the, the, you're all looking at me and judging me. You, you do these things for football. So I thought, right, I rang my assistant manager. We'll call her Jane again for an anonymity. I thought Jane's a bit of a soft touch. Um, you know, I, I, don't, I hadn't really spoken to her that much. She doesn't know they haven't got any children. So I rang up um, and, you know, I'd, I'd been rehearsing this, I'd been rehearsing this, rehearsing this. And she bought it. Yes, yes. But what's, it. what's your non-existent child called? Well, that's well. I'm going to come to that <laughs> because at, at the end of at the end of the phone call, this is where the story started to fall down for for Jane. She said, "Oh well, you know, listen, give my love to what was his name?" And my mind just went blank. I, I'd cooked up this backstory and I'd forgotten to give the kid a name, <laughs> so I just went. Well, anyway, okay, I better go. Bye, 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 bye. Hung up. Two minutes later, I get a message from her saying, uh, just to let you know, the, the big boss, uh, we'll call her Melissa, is going <laughs> to ring you. <laughs> Shit. Now, Melissa was the iron lady, the office bitch. I think I had about three conversations with her in the entire time I worked there. And here she was ringing me to ask me about this kid that not only wasn't ill, didn't exist. <laughs> I'm sweating, I'm sweating, I'm sweating. My mate who'd come with me to Pierre's had buggered off, he'd gone to the pub. So it's just me, Pierre, his wife and his kid in this house. I'm thinking, I, I don't know what to do. So she rang and she grilled me and I, and I stayed in the game and, and I kept the lie going and I kept the lie going. 
and the whole time in the, in the conversation, Pierre was looking at me, and he could, he could see that I was sinking. This, this is Pierre talking to you with his young child in no, the room that really existed as well. They were they were looking at me. They were just watching me whilst I was on the phone, and they could see me sinking. And Pierre's English wasn't the best, but he could tell that you know I was drowning in my own lies. Um, and eventually, his wife asked him something, and they had a bit of a conversation. And Melissa snaps on the phone, and she says, "Who's that? Who's that in the background?" Like, uh, uh. It's it's the doctor. The doctor's just come to 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 see to see the little one. It's the doctor. Yeah, yeah. It's the doctor. She didn't believe it, and she just started to say now, and she got to the now fur bit. She didn't get to now fur. She just went now fur, and out of nowhere, like an absolute hero, Pierre saved the day. He came over. He took the phone off me, and he absolutely tore a strip off her as the pretend doctor. <laughs> He absolutely did me an absolute solid. And he said, this child is sick. She might have to go to hospital. I don't, I, you know, I'm not going to do a French accent. I don't want you bothering her father again. This is a very serious situation. And I hope that I will not hear from you again this evening. Good night. Hung up the phone and I'm thinking, do I hug him? Do, like, oh my, oh my God. And I just kind of stood there in silence for about 20 seconds. Phone buzzes on the side. It's Melissa. Open it up. Fergal, I'm very sorry to have bothered you. Take as much time off as you need. <laughs> Boom. We went to the game. We got beat by France, but oh my God, I kept my job. And uh, yeah, yeah. If ever you need someone to lie to you at work, you let me know. Or you let Pierre know. Yeah, He's yeah. the man for it. Did you have to been pretend this child existed then for the rest of your time at work? No, I just kept just kept all conversations to a minimum and left a month later. <laughs> right, okay. Yeah, well, uh, I'd love to say uh, that we have Melissa and Pierre on the line right now. Uh, uh, but after that story, th- there's not a lot I can really do. So I think we're going to call it there, gentlemen. Uh, thanks very much to Jay, thanks to Pete, and thanks to the lying scumbag that is uh, thank you, Pierre. Uh, thank you for listening to the Football Social Daily Weekend Preview Show. Uh, we, we do this every every Saturday, as you know, and there is a new podcast every day. But as well as that, we're also your go-to source for daily Premier League news, updates on all 20 Premier Leagues, uh, all 20 Premier League teams every single day. All you've got to do is get your Amazon Alexa device to enable sports social. Thanks for listening. See you next time. Football Social Daily. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. BTW, void, we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime anywhere with daily bonuses that should brighten your day a little actually a lot so sign up now at chumbacasino.com that's chumbacasino.com no purchase necessary btw void were prohibited by law see terms and conditions 18 plus